It's good to see you all this morning, and we are blessed again to be in this place at this time for the express purpose of giving praise to God our Father. And the way we know that it is given to God and not man is that we need to give to God our very best. Uh, we may not give each other our very best at times, but God demands our very best. So whether we are singing or praying or giving or listening, God expects us to do it in a fashion that would be pleasing and acceptable in his sight. And so that's why we've come this morning and we are continuing to study the book of Acts and we invite your attention there uh, this morning. Uh, we ask that you continue to pray for the work of this church. Uh, and I, I believe that as God takes over uh, in many areas of our lives, that the church will be the happy recipient of some wonderful things. We just need to be patient and we need to not get out in front of God, but we need to take his direction. Now this morning, uh, the overall passage that was read is one that is good for the church in any era at any time. That Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, giving us the, the, the right to as much as is possible to live godly and to live soberly and to live uh, at peace with all men, to look forward to helping all men where we can, but especially those who are of the household of faith, those of us right here this morning. I want to uh, go again this morning as we did in our Sunday school to Acts chapter 6. That's where we are now in our study of the book of Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 6, and I want to thank Brother Gibson for the fine uh, introduction he did to that this morning. And my lesson just kind of comes right behind his for those who weren't able to be here or who chose not to be here during our Sunday school. Again, we all need to hear the same things. So we have to make sure that in different forums we provide the same gospel so that everybody can be on the same page. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, uh, some things have happened with the church that have been very significant. And I want to invite your attention back there, verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7 of Acts chapter 6. The scripture says that in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually 
to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. With that passage in mind, I'd like to just speak with you a little while this morning about the disciples multiplied greatly. The disciples multiplied greatly. For sure, one of the most difficult areas in religion and Christianity is to get people to accept the truth that the doctrine of the church is what's important rather than the lives of individual members. Critics and non-believers alike are quick to point out the sinful lives of churchgoers and have been heard to make statements like, if so-and-so can go to heaven living like he or she does and going to church every Sunday, then I can be saved not going to church at all. I don't know if you've ever spoken those words, but you may have heard somebody who have spoken those words or insinuated something like that. And I want to re-emphasize to all of us that it is the word of God that's perfect, that God has never guaranteed all men to do what they need to do. Uh, the word of God is perfect. And the Bible says that if we look into, in, in James chapter 1, verse 25, the man who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's what this is. The perfect law of liberty, okay? Not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, somebody who stays in the word, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So, I want to say to you today that we can all be better examples, but the only sure and perfect example is Christ Jesus, our Lord. According to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, which tells us how Jesus, even though he enjoyed uh, heaven, gave it up for a while. The Bible says, let that same mind be in you that was in him in Christ Jesus, who, who, who counted the, the mission of the church as even more important than his own enjoyment in the pleasures of heaven. Gave it up for a while, let it go, came to this earth and lived as a man amongst us. A man who humbled himself even to death on the cross. As a result of that, the scripture says God gave him a name that is above every name. That every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, 
By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the early church had experienced quite a few things. 3,000 Jews had repented of their sins and were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And over the next few days, the church grew to some 5,000. Now, I want you to imagine this morning, as Brother Gibson tried to get us to imagine, a church, number one, that starts off with 3,000 people. And what that demands of a leadership. He talked about logistics. He talked about communication. If you have that many people and no logistics and no communication, you got a problem on your hands. And then within the next few days, it's jumped from 3,000 to 5,000. That's scary. Because now we've got to readjust again to get everything set in order. And you can imagine that this was no easy task because people had no idea from day to day how that number would grow. But the Lord was blessing them. He blessed them because of what they were doing. And you may recall that in previous chapters, there were things going on in the church that were... Uh, that, that caused some, some church growth, but uh, there were also some things that caused some concern, uh, especially when Ananias and Sapphira stepped out of themselves to become devilish and decided to lie to the Holy Spirit about what they had sold. And then uh, there was the, the, the healing of the lame man, which caused some people problems. But those incidents caused the church to grow. And then we have Peter and John in chapter five being arrested. And the people see that Peter and John have been doing nothing but good in the city. And yet they're being accosted and arrested and, and beaten and threatened. That caused the church to grow. Especially when they put Peter and John in jail and the next day they're out preaching again. The, the guards say we didn't see anything. The angel of the Lord unlocked the cell, walked Peter and John by the guards, and then locked the door. And when they were questioned, they said we didn't see a thing. We didn't see a thing. That's the way God operates. God's hand is through all of this, on all of this. But I want to pay attention, particular attention this morning, to, to what they were doing that caused the Lord to grow their number. The Bible says that there was a problem, according to Acts chapter 6, and that problem was brought on by some things that still plague us. I, I keep telling you every time I speak to you that the problems we experienced as the church didn't start in Roosevelt City. They didn't start in Birmingham. They didn't start in the South. <laughs> they started when the church started. Because whenever you're dealing with people, you're going to have something to deal with. Lord have mercy. I don't know what we do if the Lord, for whatever the reason, dumped 500 on us tomorrow. Lord have mercy. Can you imagine that? 
All of a sudden, something has happened and the church is starting to grow now by leaps and bounds more than we can keep up with. And many of the people who are coming are people who are coming with needs. They're coming with a handout. How is the church to respond to that? Well, you can imagine what they were dealing with then in Jerusalem. And when the feast was being held, when, when Pentecost arrived and Jews would come in from all nations under heaven, according to Acts chapter 2. There came some Jews who were out of the area. Okay, so you know how we develop cliques. You know how we develop cliques. And we develop cliques based on people with similar interests as ourselves. So if there are seven, eight people who have similar interests, they may get together as a group and kind of exclude others who don't have that same interest. And then they start doing things that show that they, well, maybe like this little group better than they do others in the church. Because others in the church open their mouths and give themselves away as divisive, as sinful, as not being willing to pull along with the program. And then there's some who are just out of the area. You are easily identified by your speech. You take somebody from Birmingham and move them to a northeastern state and let them stay there for about five years and then come back home. One of the first things you realize about them is that their speech has changed. You know, I don't know about you, but I know when I first went to New York, when I opened my mouth, somebody said, you're from the South, aren't you? You know, I may have been able to get away with some words, but then some words I said, they say, say that again. <laughs> yeah, you're from the South. And the same thing is true if you were from a northeastern state and you came here. You know how we act. When we leave, some folks don't have to be gone a year. They can be gone three, four weeks and come back home trying to speak proper like they do in, in New York. I've been to New York. <laughs> And I just want to thank everybody. You know how folks from New York say think instead of thank? But they be in prophecy. I just want to thank everybody for praying for me. And then once they're here for a little while, then they resort back. Well, this is what was happening in Jerusalem at the time. Because these Hellenists, these Grecian Jews, who didn't live around Jerusalem, they didn't live in Palestine. They grew up in a foreign city. And their speech gave them away. They weren't speaking Hebrew. They weren't speaking even the original Aramaic. They were speaking Greek because they had grown up in an area where Greek, that's why they called them Grecians. Grecians. The Grecian widows were being ignored in the daily distribution of food. You know what's going on. The good old boys in Jerusalem. When those Grecian widows came up for their portion, the way they talked gave them away, and they just ignored them. 
In other words, you're not from here. In other words, why don't you go back home? Why did you come and stay in the first place? And the only reason they're saying this to them is because they grew up in a different area. They were Jews. But that language betrayed them. It gave them away. And some who weren't honest allowed that to get in the way of them giving those Grecian widows what they deserved just like everybody else. And then when that kind of thing happens, murmuring starts. And you know what murmuring will do in the church. Folks start murmuring. They started complaining. They started saying to somebody, did you get yours today? And they said, no, they didn't give me mine. And as the word grew, it got back to the group. And the group came to the apostles and said, now we have, a, we have a snag in our operations here. Some of the Grecian widows are complaining that they're not getting their due in the daily distribution. This is what they told the, uh, the apostles. I don't know what they expected the apostles to do. But probably today our leaders would do things like, well, uh, let's find somebody who can handle that or let's handle it ourselves. Those who seek for power and fame and glory would have said, man, I'd like to be over that ministry. That's a ministry that's going to make folk like you. You're giving out food and shelter and clothing. I'll be involved, but the, the, the apostles understood their role in the bigger scheme of things. And they said to those who came to them, it is not desirable. It is not appropriate for us to stop our ministry, which is to study God's word and to remain in prayer. Oh, Lord. That's the preacher's role. To study the word of God so he can deliver this thing right. And some people take that for granted. They think that's something you can do in 10 or 15 minutes. But, folks, that's a lifetime of study and experience. And I tell you what the greatest challenge is. It's getting an audience like this to understand the proclaimed word no matter where you sit. No matter what your circumstances. I ought to be able to communicate clearly with those who have advanced degrees as well as those who never finished grade school. And that's a challenge within itself. Sometimes you have to say things to one group and then break it down for two or three more groups. Some people say, well, why he keep repeating? Well, sometimes folk hear simple things. And then there are some people who need to be hit up here because that's where they live. And the job of the preacher is to, is to communicate with every one of them. If I leave one of you out, I've not done this church service. If you're not getting what everybody else is getting, I haven't done you service. So these cliques had evolved, and now it was showing itself in the Grecian widows being overlooked or ignored. We know how that feels, don't we? I know, I know how it feels. To be 
singled out to not get something that everybody else is getting? That's not something that's unusual for a crowd like this. And any time in our life, we know that it's a nasty feeling. It's an ugly feeling. It's an ungodly practice. So the apostles, having the betterment of the church in their minds, said, number one, what we will not do is stop praying and studying God's word in order to come over here and serve tables. Now, ain't nothing wrong with serving tables, but we need to put the right folk there to do it. And we're not the ones. Our job is to study the word and to pray so that the church can move on. We're imploring God. We can't do this without him. Somebody has to be in constant prayer in order to get God to do what he needs to do and what he wants to do for us. So once they told the apostles that, they said, well, here's the best thing for us to do. You choose. You choose as a congregation seven men amongst you and bring them to us and we'll appoint them to handle this matter. Now, as Brother Gibson said this morning, they were not deacons in the sense that they had been ordained as deacons. We don't find deacons at that early in the word. But deacon is from a root word that means servant. So really, there were deacons and deaconesses in the church after the, the office became uh, uh, ordained by God and men had hands laid on them who were appointed to the office of servant, especially in this situation. Well, who do we need? Sometimes we get mixed up with who we need to do what jobs. I heard somebody say one time, you know, a house can have everything it needs to have, but if you have the living room furniture in the den, and the den furniture in the living room and the kitchen in the basement. You know, everything may be in the house, but stuff is out of place. Sometimes we develop leaderships and memberships and assign people to things that's not their strong suit. Simply because they say, that's what I want to do. Well, we have to be wise enough to match up what a person says he wants to do with what he's capable of doing. Now you've seen those commercials on now where they talk about people. You've seen the one, right, where they, the young man is at the, uh, uh, the uh, fair and the mother and her son are sitting on the uh, Ferris wheel and they're getting ready to go up and they said to him, uh, is this thing safe? And he said, well, I, I, put it, I did it myself last night. I think it's pretty safe. It's pretty safe. So what do you do if something goes wrong? What do you do if people get hurt? They said, we, we just move to the next city. Some people get up right away and move right on out of there. You know? And that kind of thing happens in the church sometimes. Where we have people who are volunteering for things that they're really not good at. And we need to help them. To understand that God doesn't put up with just you want to do what you want to do. What you want to do ought to be something you can do in an excellent fashion. Not I'm almost there. Not I'm pretty good at it. But I know what I'm doing. 
And sometimes the church suffers because we have the wrong folk in the wrong place. And then we criticize them because they mess up. But what do you expect? If you're a catcher, catch. If you're a pitcher, pitch. Don't be out there in the outfield because that ain't your place. Okay. Here's what they say. They said, we want seven men. You pick them out. Now, in order for them to pick out seven men among thousands, how do seven men raise themselves to prominence in a group of 5,000 folk? You, you got to have something going for you to make you stick out in a number of 5,000. But they were able to go out there, and I'm sure that's with the help of God. See, God is steering all of this. Here's an opportunity for him to show them somebody that they may have been asking about but really didn't know enough about. Because when they put it out there, the church came up with the names of seven men. And those seven men were all Grecians. <laughs> you know God is in the plan. When stuff like that happens, you dealing with Grecian widows who have a complaint? What a better thing to do than put the men who are over the program, let them be Greece, pick them as they Grecians. Doesn't that make sense? That'll, re that'll restore their confidence that these men going to treat these women right because they're their own. He didn't choose men who were right around the area of Jerusalem. He didn't choose men who were always, who had always lived in Jerusalem. They chose seven men who had lived in other places, grew up in other places, spoke some Greek to minister to these widows. Isn't that something awesome? You talk about fairness and justice, that's it. We're going to put seven Grecian men and look, and one of the seven was a proselyte. He was a Hebrew, no, not a Hebrew, a Gentile who had converted to Jewism. He was on it. Now, you, you know how that sets with us, right? He ain't had no business in there, right? Because he's a Gentile. And even though he's with us now, we don't want him making any decisions about anything yet. But God included a proselyte even with those seven men. And when they had worked it out, the Bible says all the people, number one, all the people agreed with the seven they had chosen. That's joy right there within itself. Thousands of people have agreed on these seven. Ain't nobody murmuring no more. Nobody's complaining. Nobody's saying he doesn't deserve to be in there. And he doesn't deserve to be in there. These are God-selected men. Because the Bible says that Stephen in particular was full of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. 
If you're full of the Holy Spirit, they can't miss you in 5,000. A person who's filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith and with power will stand out in the midst of 5,000. And that's why the Bible tells us who this man was. We're not talking about an ordinary man here. We're talking about a man that's full of faith. Lord have mercy. How full of you of faith? Where's your line come to with faith? The Bible says they were up to the brink. Full of faith. Full of the Holy Spirit. Where's your Holy Spirit level? Stick the Holy Spirit dipstick in. Pull it out and look at it. The faith stick in. Pull it out and look at it. And maybe we'll be able to distinguish ourselves from these men who were selected to do the job they were selected to do. And they did it well. And as a result of that, we come to probably one of the most overlooked reasons why the Lord's church grew the way it did. In this particular instance, it was because the world started paying attention to what the church was doing. They saw them taking care of widows and orphans, those who were in need. They extended servants' hands to those who were in need. And when people saw them doing that, they flocked to the church. And that's why I continue to grow. And the scripture says even some of the priests obeyed the gospel. Why? Because they saw what the church was doing with the needy. Oh, don't, don't, be, don't let the devil trick you now. We're not going to draw people to Christ simply because we meet here twice on Sunday. If that was the case, we'd been drawing more and more and more and more simply because we go through the routine of meeting there every Sunday morning. Amen. Folk don't even know who we are, but they can tell you, well, that church right there, yeah, they have services around 10, 9, 10 on Sunday. I don't know any more than that. Amen. I know they have people who come, but that's not enough. And it's never been enough to draw people to want to hear the gospel. There are people around this city who are coming in much greater numbers than we are. So why would we be the ones to reap the benefit simply because we come twice on Sunday? We're not going to bring people to Christ because of what we put on that board outside. We're not going to draw people to Christ because we have a nice building. That just doesn't work. If it was going to work, it would have worked by now, don't you think? What causes the church to grow when we accept it will explain why we don't grow. In this particular instance, it was a, a church that was reaching out to the needy in a way that the community couldn't deny. And when folks do stuff like that, the community takes note of all of the things we can do. When you reach out with servants' hands to a community and take responsibility for feeding and clothing poor folk, 
Especially those who are of the household of faith. The church takes notice of that. They take notice when you pull up with a couple of baskets of food. Don't think they don't. They take notice when you bring folk clothes. They take notice when you sacrifice. And if they don't see that, we can have all the special programs we want. It won't bring them to the Lord. And we know this is right because the scripture says after they had helped these, after they did what they did with these widows, the church grew, the disciples multiplied mightily. Now we're not adding anymore from Acts 2. We multiplying disciples. We don't go from addition to multiplication. Why? Because God loves it when we reach out to the needy. I don't know what you feel about this, but this is scripture based. If we're going to ever be the church that we can truly be proud of, we got a lot of efforts going on, but we tend to miss the things that matter the most. To do things that are just all right to do. And what's going on here reflects it. We're not going to grow the way the Lord can cause us to grow until we start doing what he wants us to do. And that is primarily extending yourself to those who are widows and orphans and needy, just poor. Do you understand the responsibility that we have to poor folk? The Lord said, you're going to have them with you always. So you might as, get, might as well get used to them. They ain't going nowhere. And sometimes we have that kind of attitude with folk who need help. We often skate the issue of our responsibility by asking them why they're in the shape they're in. And that may be good for you to know, but that doesn't change their situation. When they finish telling you, I made some mistakes that I couldn't get out of. I made some, some, some decisions that were the worst decisions of my life, and I'm still paying the consequences. That's why I'm down on my love. But you know what? God says in Matthew 25 through our Lord Jesus that he's going to be concerned about folk who helped folk who were disadvantaged. Of all the things. If you had been able to put on the test what Jesus was going to be concerned about in the, you wouldn't have put that, I guarantee you. We'd have put stuff like, did you live? Uh, did, you, did, you, did you not steal? Did you not kill? Did you not commit adultery? But Jesus says, I want to know why you passed me up when you saw me thirsty. Lord have mercy. Why'd you walk by me when you saw me hungry? That's what I want to know. And what's the answer to that? Lord, we just didn't have time to stop. Somebody helped. That's why we got the Red Cross. But Acts 6 didn't send for their version of the Red Cross. Their version of the Red Cross was the church. We got some people here who need our help. I read about a church. Read about a church. Oh, Lord. 
that was in a building program. Didn't have all the money that they needed for a building yet. But they, they, they had a significant amount. And around the time that they were starting to think about building, a tornado hit the area. And as a result of that, many people at that congregation were out of work. Just put on hold. You know how it is. Maybe we don't know how it is. You go to sleep one night and everything is fine. And you wake up the next day and, and half of your house is underwater because of something over which you had no control. And the Bible, uh, this story, as the story goes, the leaders of this church decided that we're going to put the building program on hold and use the fund as a slush fund for our members who are in need. Oh, have mercy. And the church grew as a result of that. See, that's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. When we can put things that are less important to the side to do those things that are mandatory. It is mandatory that we care about one another and that we help each other. Now, I'm going to finish this morning by asking you that, that. Look, Jesus loves it when the church goes out of his way to help the widows and orphans and the needy of the world, especially those in the church. God loves that. If you want to know what excites heaven, Jesus loves it when we sacrifice to help those in need. As the Macedonian church did in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says they were in deep poverty themselves. Try to wrap your head around that. They were in deep poverty themselves. But they gave themselves to the Lord first. And then they looked at their finances differently. The Bible says even though they will pull themselves out of their poverty, they gave generously. Heaven is excited when we do that kind of thing. Jesus loves it when we put others before ourselves. James chapter 1 verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And we go again with widows and orphans and the needy and those who are poor. God loves it when we go without more of the same stuff we keep buying and give to others the simple necessities of life. These folk, are not, these folk are not asking to live in Hoover. They're not asking to live in over the mountain, in Inverness somewhere. They're asking for food, the basic necessities of life, water, clothing, shelter, those are basic things. And if we can't give up the basics, forget about the rest of it. The world reacts to us not based on what's coming out of our mouths, but helping hands. Helping hands that are willing to reach out. Finally, 
We buy many things that extend us beyond our financial ability, don't we? Mm -hmm. Don't you buy some things at times that you know you can't afford? You know you can get past that first five or six payments, but then after then it's shaky. And you're going to sign the contract anyway because you want it, right? We are no strangers to living above our means. Because we determine we're going to have what we want to have even if we can't pay for it. Some folks say, well, if you don't pay for it, they'll come and get it. They sure will. They sure will. But you know what happens when we stop being able to make the payment? One of the first things we do to offset the shortfall, take God's away. After all, ain't nobody going to know about that. So I was given 100, now I'm going to jack that down to 35, and then I got the rest of the money I need to pay for this right here. Okay. I wonder if we would go over our budgets to help the needy. I wonder, because see, Jesus loves it when we extend ourselves beyond what we thought we could give. If you've never challenged, been take, take that challenge, take it. See if you can challenge yourself to give more than you thought you could give and see what the results will be. Because, see, the scriptures teach us that if you give like that, the Lord will give you good measure, pressed down, running over, that the Lord will give you into your... Have you experienced that? If you haven't been given like that, you can't have experienced that. You may have think you had a downfall, but you haven't even thought about what the Lord has in store for those who love you. Church, have you ever gone without something in order to help someone in need? This was the atmosphere of the first century church. When they came together, they had no problems with going over their budgets or giving what they didn't have or letting something go that they did have to help those who were poor. And just like they didn't forget them then, we can't forget them now. Not and expect to grow. Because those are the kind of things. Now, 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 maybe this evening we need to talk more about those who have considered the outcome of a rapid growth and don't want to deal with that. So they stand in the way of the progress of the church. See, because if you don't want 400 here, people say, well, it'd be nice to have 400, but we need to do that over maybe a five or six year span. Well, what if our work here causes God to send us 400 new Christians by next Sunday? And they have needs. How do you think we'll respond? How do you think we'll respond? Well, I'll leave that question with you. If you've heard the message this morning, then you can understand it. And before we wait for the church to do it as a whole, you start doing it as an individual. Pay attention to those around you who are sick, who are, who are invalids, who are widows, who are orphans, and stop criticizing so much and just show them a servant's hands. Show them a servant's hands. If that's, if, if that's what you've heard this morning, you've heard the right thing. You need to come and, and tell God what he already knows 
And if there are those of you here without Christ in your life, you need to believe what you've heard this morning, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that every knee, every tongue shall bow and confess, and that uh, if we are baptized for the remission of our sins, the Lord adds us to the body where salvation is, and based on that, uh, we can be saved. If you're here, come right now as we together stand and as we sing.